Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. Uh, I am the lead pastor here at Bethany Community Church North. And uh, uh, can you hear me? Is my microphone on? Great. All right, been gone a couple weeks. Uh, got the good fortune Mother's Day. I got to worship at Bethany Eastside. Bethany is six locations, which for 100 years have gathered around the centrality of Christ. And my role, lead pastor Bethany North. I also supervise Bethany Eastside and West. Uh, so I get to visit those congregations and be blessed by different articulations of what God is doing around the greater city. Uh, then the weekend after, we had 25 guys from Bethany North travel to Malibu, the men's camp, where we gra- gathered with over 270 other men. Uh, yeah, yep, yep, there was a few of us there, and it was remarkable. And we really saw God do some amazing things in the lives of men. It was a privilege to be there. I know Raul spoke about that last week. Uh, really remarkable, and last weekend I was off. So consequently... I'm going to try to remember how to do this thing of opening God's Word and preach it to y'all. I'm very excited and humbled to be able to share this Word with you out of Ephesians 2. Actually, we'll pick up in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. I hope you brought your Bibles because we'll be going through the entirety of that text because I believe that God has a specific Word for us as His church this morning. And I always believe that, but I really believe it this morning. I think God is going to speak, and I want us to be encouraged to listen. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning, the chance to dig into your word. We pray, Lord, that as we do, that you would uh, allow us to meet with you now, that you would open our ears and hearts uh, to be uh, just receiving the truth you want to share with us, that you indeed, Lord Jesus, are the chief cornerstone. You are the foundation uh, for the church around the world, the church around the city. Uh, We want to be your hands and feet, your people. Father, speak to us now. In your name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Your title today, we're keeping it simple in your outline. The title is, We Have Been Found. We've been found. It's also the title for the series, Found. Uh, We have been found. Uh, When I was a kid, I was the younger sibling in a family of, you know, mother, father, older brother. Four years, my senior. So as the younger sibling, any younger siblings in the room? Okay? Yeah, you got to kind of be the agitator, kind of the punk, right? You kind of had that privilege. The older one often bore more responsibility. And, you know, where this would play out for us is in car rides. We're a big car ride family. So, you know, we'd be back and forth, and then there would be a line drawn across the back seat. Anyone travel in a car with the line across, the imaginary line? Do not cross this line. You know, and as the younger sibling, I was like, always like, yeah, you know, oh, mom, he touched the line, you know, and we were divided, though riding in the same car. Now, we, uh, we, we felt this much more acutely when we moved houses my brother's senior year of high school. I was an eighth grader. He was a senior. And we moved from having our own bedrooms in the same house to now sharing a bedroom. Sharing our, our family moved into about maybe 1,500 square feet, and our bedroom was all about maybe 140 square feet. Two twin beds, a desk we shared, one table between the bed, and a phone between the beds. Now, you talk about dividing line. Senior in high school, you're used to having your own room, sharing your your room with your little brother. We had strict lines. His was well organized. Everything was in place. Mine was a disaster. And that phone was like United Nations. Like, who gets to speak on the phone? He would talk to his girlfriend late at night. I would eavesdrop. It was a nightmare. Now... Same room, same family, same, you know, under the same roof, quite literally, divided, divided. Now that's actually a very safe example to share with you, because what I could tell you is about the same brother 
spending almost a decade distanced from my family, us still working in our relationship. Same bloodline, divided, working through that. Now, any of us that have family of origin issues where we're not quite as close as we want to be with a father or a mother or a sibling or a child, you know this acutely, this thing that though we're supposed to be one as an earthly family, holy cow, we're often very divided. And then we get this text today that as God's people, we're supposed to, between Jew and Gentile, uh, between the people in, in Ephesus that, that were far from God, we're supposed to have a new unity, a new familial relationship, that though we're divided, that this word from Ephesians comes to us that we've been found together. It's amazing. It's a specific word. I feel like God has it for us at North specifically in this season. That this book of Ephesians is, is radically good news. That yes, we are divided oftentimes in our current society, but it is the gospel of Jesus Christ which unites us. And then the implications in Ephesians is how do we actually live this out? This book is about the radical good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and how that becomes the new unity for people to live out. Uh, there was a, a theologian, John McKay, who was the former president of Princeton Theological Seminary, and in 1903 he, he wrote a little poem and a little story called Conversion in the Rocks where he, he snuck away and read Ephesians. And he said after reading Ephesians, he saw a new world. He loved God. He saw he was alive, and he saw an accurate picture of the Christian life all from this book. This book is good news for us, church. It is. And like the musical Evan Hansen, dear Evan Hansen says that there's this message that, that we have been found in community. My kids are into show tunes these days. Don't ask. It's a different message. I'll give it another time. But in this song, you will be found. And dear Evan Hansen says, even when the dark comes crashing through, when you need a friend to carry you, when you're broken on the ground, you will be found. And though we often feel alienated and isolated and alone, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ who came for us when we were in said place and says, through the work of Christ on the cross, you're not alone, I'm for you. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. He unites us with other people. And so this book of Ephesians, of, we're going to look at today like what we were and what we are and what the implications for how do we try to live that out together. And we'll be walking through this book over the coming five weeks, just the radical implications being a gospel-centered community, hard in a lot of different fashions. Let's look here first at what we were. What we were, if you look at your Bibles, look at verses 11 through 14-ish. What we were, one answer is, we were lost. Paul is writing this book, though it's titled to Ephesians. Ephesus was kind of ground zero for the, for, the, for the Asian minor churches. And unlike Colossians and some different books that were written to specific people in a specific city, most scholars say that Ephesians was written to be shared widely, but it's shared with Gentiles. And Paul is writing to these people this, this reminder that you were lost. He says in verse 11 and 12, he uses this word remember twice. Remember, remember. Do not forget this is your story. You are alienated from God, quite literally. And the people in Ephesus, the people in the surrounding villages, they would have remembered. It was just a couple of years that they heard the gospel message. This wouldn't have been too much work. And it's striking that Paul says several times, do not forget because after all, for these people in Ephesus and, and the surrounding cities, it's been six months. It's been 24 months. 
It's been 36 months, and how often we forget. Well, goodness gracious, for us as a church, man, yeah, we were saved maybe decades ago. And this work that Christ did on the cross over 2,000 years ago, and we just tend to forget. Paul says, never forget that this is your story. This is our story. That we were, look at verse 12, we were without hope and without God. That we, were, we were lost without him. We were excluded, look at verse 12. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners, the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. The word that Paul uses here means alienated. He's only using it twice in all of the New Testament. It means that we're cut off, that we were set adrift, that we, we are without our core identity when we're not anchored to Christ. What we were, we were a people far from God. Now these people, these Gentiles, if you think of the, the layout of the ancient temple, there was in the very center of the temple, this is Herod the Great had rebuilt the temple, and in the center of the temple was the Holy of Holy. And in ancient Israel, that's where God resided, in the, in the center of the temple. So this is going to be really important when we get to the end of the passage where there's a new temple, and we get to participate in the new temple. And Paul says, don't forget, you've got to remember that without, without God you were lost. And in the ancient temple, in the very center was the Holy of Holies that the high priest was only allowed to enter once a year. Once a year. And then each, each kind of section was a wall. You know, there was the temple of the priests, and then, you know, the temple of the, of the believers, and the temple of the women, and then finally, way, 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 way out here was, was the court of the, uh, of the Gentiles. And, and the Gentile court, they were, they were separated also by steps, so they would be able to see up to where the Holy of Holies was. But they would know, even if they wanted to worship God, they would never be given access. Because on each one of these walls to the different courts, there were signs posted. If you cross the, this, this line, its punishment is death. And Paul says, don't forget that that's your story. That you were, you were people on the farthest margins that would ever be able to approach God, but because of who Jesus is in Christ, you were who far were brought near. Look at verse 13. In Christ Jesus, but now in Christ, you who once were far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's this proximity thing reeking through the passage. That though we probably deserve to be out here as, as Gentiles, because of who Jesus is, he carried us with him. He brought us near. And the dividing walls, which we're going to see here next, have been torn down. You've got to remember this, Paul, that this is your story. We were far, but through Christ we were, we were brought near. Colossians 1, 12-13 says that we give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I love this verse from Colossians 1, 12, 13 because it's Christ who qualifies us. Oftentimes in the pastoral office when I meet with people, people feel, I just feel disqualified because of my past sin, because of my current brokenness. I just feel disqualified. And the reminder, says Paul, is you never qualify yourself. We would be disqualified if by our own measure, but because of we are who are in Christ, we who are far are brought near by his blood. All of this to set up what Paul says in verse 14. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 14. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall, which Paul will say, is between us and God and us to one another. The dividing wall between the different courts of people that were able to access the Holy of Holies. Paul said, it's done. It's, it's done. So move on. Like, don't be stuck, you know, feeling disqualified that, to remember that Christ did this work for us and to receive it and to live into it. And when we, when we just allow our, ourselves to recognize that there's brokenness within us that longs to feel discluded and hang on to this, this, this dividing wall in my heart, when we kind of run in shame, Paul says, you're missing the opportunity to be set free. You were lost, and now you've been found. How he has given us his peace. The Christ himself isn't just a source of peace. He's not a philosophy that brings peace or a theology that brings peace. The Christ himself is our peace. And in the Christian life, peace isn't just the, the absence of conflict. It's the presence of wholeness. The presence of wholeness. And so instead of getting into sin management or trying to, you know, kind of be divided by parts, Paul's saying focus on the whole story, that that who Christ is, he has saved you completely, that there's a source of peace for our lives. And that's where we get to say, you know, we get, we get so divided in the church today. But this message of the centrality of Christ, that we were lost and now we're found, that's our core message and it's like, yeah, no, I know. I've heard that one before. I really, would, I really want to get into, you know, this particular issue in our society today. Paul says, do not drift from that center point that you were lost and now you're found. Yesterday, uh, we gathered together. We're working with all the children, youth, and family leaders, staff, and the lead pastors from all six of Bethany locations with these consultants that are coming in, helping us dream about what we want every child that comes through our program to know. So we have over 600 kids that come to one of the Bethany locations. Often we have about 200 here at North. They are, as Pastor Ruth reminded us in a sermon a year ago, they are our big evangelism project. If our kids come through this church and don't know about God's love for them, we have failed as a community. The kids are not being pacified where the real work of the church happens in this building. Quite the opposite. We exist in order that they would know that God is for them and that they would be a light in their community. So yesterday, all the pastor, the lead pastors and the, the children, youth, and family people, we sat around with whiteboards of these consultants. What do we want every child to know that comes through our program? What do we want them to know? What do we want them to feel? What do we want them to do? We had lists. We had whiteboard. You know, and it's like, what, when, when it really gets down to it, what do you want every child to know? We want them to know the gospel, the, the, the person of, of God in the three persons of Son, Father, and Holy Spirit came for them when they were lost, and that because of that radical love, they are free to love God and love others. They're found. It's a really simple story when we boil it down, and then the work is, but how do we, how do we plan that and prepare that and, and, and organize around that? But the fact of the matter, Paul says, is you can't forget that what we were without Christ was lost. That'll set the foundation for what we are now. Look at the second point of your outline. What are we now? This is sections 15 through 18. We are, says Paul, a new humanity. A new humanity, a new body, a new purpose. We have a new life. Look at verse 15 and 16. By setting aside in his flesh, Christ, the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. 
out of two peoples, Jew and Gentile, male, female. Christ says, no, I want to make peace, verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So this is interesting, because there's, a, there's a, this work of the cross where we get united to who God is, but what Paul is really setting up as a central metaphor is being reconciled one to another. That what we were was lost individually, but what we are is a new humanity. And this is really mysterious, but it's a core message of Ephesians that our, our gospel story is intertwined with each other. It's totally antithetical to how we've taught the gospel the last 20 years. Because for 20 years we've said, it's about you and Jesus. Like, go off and find him. Go off and worship him. Go off and spend time with him. And good luck out there on the journey. It's kind of like this metaphor of the, the home alone story, that you're going to be home and then the bad guys are going to come and steal, you know, and you're going to like, can you last, you know, in your home alone? No, Paul says, no, it, it's about being reconciled one to another, that that's how Christ works, that, that in this new humanity, we might understand more of who God says we are, that we've been joined together in Christ. And if we believe, says Galatians 3.27, then we've been clothed in Christ, We've been given a new team jersey where, where we're, not, we're not looking at each other's qualifications. We're just glad to be on the team. We wear a new jersey. Who, whose team? I'm on, I'm on the Jesus team. Wow, you made the team. Me too. How? Well, well, we were far from God, but through the blood of Jesus and the work of the cross, their new humanity has been formed. Colossians Three says it in this. So in Christ Jesus, verse 26 of Colossians 3, you are all children of God. You're part of the same family through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, it's very interesting because we were talking about this individual reconciliation to God lived out communally. Very, very, very tricky. How did Jesus do it? Look at verses 17 and verse 18. Jesus came. He preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, it's interesting if you look at your Bibles in verse 17. He's talking about those who are far away. You would read that in first century in Ephesus and surrounding churches. Those are the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near, the Jewish. But through him both we have access to the Father. So this is a thing that we get caught up on sometimes. Sometimes when I'm doing ministry with younger people, they're like, well, you know, I don't have a gospel story like that one guy, you know, Bruce, with, you know, it's like he stole the car and then he stole the motorcycle in the car and then he stole the, you know, I mean, it's like we sometimes like kind of honor the farthest out story. But the fact of the matter is, says Paul, whether you are far or whether you are near, none of us have redeemed ourselves. We just haven't. So for those of us that are near, when we get caught up splitting hairs on who is allowed entrance to the cross, we're missing the point that the cross came for anyone on any proximity, on any of the sliding scales of righteousness, Paul says. All of you are unqualified, but all through the work of the cross have been granted access to the Father. You've been granted access. It's a Greek word, prosegage, which means a right to approach the presence of a king. Any of us on the spectrum, through the work of the cross, what we are as a new humanity, people with access. We've been given access through the jersey, through the badge. I mean, it's just like we pass through any wall, any security, that we have access in Christ. 
well, okay, I, I know that. I've heard that before. What does that actually matter? Well, this is where Ephesians has a very, a very particular uh, just kind of application for us in the church today. Because it's easy to talk about that, but it's much more challenging to live it out. Because we are a, we are a divided people. And so when Paul says there three times in this section that Christ is our peace, he's our peace, he's our peace, he's talking about this new humanity taking two different people groups and making them one, we have something to learn there. Because though that we love to be divided, Christ is saying personally, I'll be your peace. Personally, those of you consumed with stress and anxiety and worry, Jesus says, I came to slay your worry. Let me be your peace. There's these verbs in 14, 15, and 16. Abolish, create, reconcile. Jesus says, I'll take your personal anxiety and I'll abolish it. And I'll create in you something new in order to reconcile you to the Father. It's beautiful personally. Corporately, same verbs are being used. That that Christ came to, to abolish dividing lines and create a new relationship one to another and reconcile us, men and women, black and white, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, for all of us that we would be through our relationships one to another reminded of Christ as the center point. This is Jesus' priestly prayer at the end of John. Father, make them one. When we launched this church seven years ago, we had, we had shirts, we had water bottles. Be the church, we said. It's not a building, it's a people. It's a people around Christ. I love it. I own the shirt. I gardened in it yesterday. Do you know how stinking difficult it is to live into that reality these days? Because the center point of Christ feels like a shrinking, shrinking space on which to stand. Because we were a divided people. And Paul says, no, no, you're a new thing. And you were far, you were near. He's saying there's a proximity that happens. So be in relationship one to another. When we're distant from one another, Larry, I need you to do something for me. Will you stand up, please? I need you to, uh, you a vegetarian, yes or no? Okay, I need you to just talk to me about why vegetarianism is a bad idea. Well, no, for me, no. Because you're not a vegetarian, so it's a bad idea for you. Yeah. Yeah, but you're wrong. Because I don't like meat. And I'm over here at no, but keep trying to convince me, please. But you need your protein. Yeah, but I can eat beans, Larry. I can eat beans. Like we, we get over here in our camps and all of a sudden Larry's not a human being. He's an agenda. He he he's trying to talk me into something. But when Paul says that this dividing line is torn down, this proximity, like all of a sudden now, hey, tell me again about your your habits of vegetarian. <laughs> oh, they're just all right. Yeah. How does this feel? This is kind of awkward, but... No, that's yeah. no. This yeah. is fine. It's different, though, right? Right. Because if you're going to tell me about something you care a lot about, and we're here, it's different. Because I have skin on, and I'm not just some issue around guns, around the courts, around whatever. We're in relationship one to another. And we have missed that in the church. Because we start to... Thank you so much. Round of applause, Larry Armbruster. <laughs> That's, everyone's like, that's why we're never sitting in that lower section. Never. <laughs> it's the point that this church exists to worship Jesus Christ. And I've had too many conversations in the too recent history about how we're, we're drifting. Oh, yeah, no, we're, we're drifting. 
People say, oh, I, I'm worried you're, you're drifting right. We want more left. We want more activism. We want more social justice. We want you to address the real issues. Thank you for sharing that. And we, no, no, you're drifting left. No, we want you to address the right to life and have honor for our government. And we want you to really, you know, kind of talk about the, the way in which this country was formed. Thank you. Okay, here's what the legacy of this church is. And, I, and I'm here right now. I won't, this isn't Scott's church. It's not Richard's church. For a hundred and plus years, this church has been a Jesus church. It was launched as an outreach, I believe, of the Methodist congregation in, into Ballard as a Native American outreach. And, and this history of, of, of who Bethany has been in relationship to Christ, we can't lose. Like, we can't forget that this is our story. That, 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 that the building moved. It was, it was called Bethany Baptist in 1916. In 1956, it became Bethany Assembly. In 1970, it became Bethany Community Church. In 1957, they hired an itinerant Pentecostal traveling evangelist named Pastor John, who pastored for almost 40 years, not around the issues, around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then this, the, the, this community hired Richard, a, a Bible scholar who didn't even want to be a pastor. He'll tell you all the time. And, and, and it moved locations in the 50s. And, and then Richard was a pastor 20 years, and we built a building. We didn't fit there. We started to launch you know, campuses all over, and they hired me. What a joke. I wasn't even a pastor. <laughs> like, who made these decisions anyway? Theologically... We are mutts gathered around the radical holiness of our Lord Jesus Christ, his Father and the Spirit. And this is our story. So if we've drifted, I'm sorry for the drift. I interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to remind you that this will be a Jesus church. And we will continue to worship Christ alone. And yes, that moves us to engage every issue we face from his mercy and his compassion and his glory. That's what this church has been about for a hundred years. And this is the truth that we want to proclaim. That, that, that this is our, our story. I don't know if you were, you know, where you were last summer for the eclipse, the big eclipse. You know, I, and I was a little cynical about the big eclipse. Because as a 43-year-old, I'd never lived, through, I'd never experienced what a real eclipse would be. So, I, I mean, I was like the worst dad ever. I didn't even buy the special glasses for the kids. And then, you know, the morning of, we were trying to cut boxes with holes in them. Any of you try to do this? It was crazy. And we went to work that day. People were like, no, no, you can't go to work. We're driving to Central Oregon. I'm like, what? For, no, it's just an eclipse. I didn't get it. Because for my whole life, the sun had hit the moon, and so I'd seen different shadows and seen partial eclipses. I'd never seen what happens when the moon eclipses the sun. And that day in the summer when the eclipse happened, and even here in Seattle, partial darkness, and we were looking at the leaves of the trees, and I mean, it was staggering to me. And then to see photos coming back of the, the, you know, the total darkness of eastern Oregon. What do we call that? The t total... Totality, yes, the totality, right? Like, we run the same risk 
as a church when the issues of the day start to eclipse the very son of our existence, Jesus Christ. Because the problem is, is that we have different moons. We have different issues that we think should eclipse the sun. Because if they would just think like me on fill in the blank, and they're all good things. They're good things. The things that the sun wants to, to light up in our life, to have us think about the way we vote, to have us think about the way we act, to have us think about our prison systems, to have us think about what's going on with race in our society, to think about being people of mercy, to be, to be people engaging every issue. It, it's, it's all good. All of it flows from worship of the sun. And when we as a church get out of priority, where the issue starts to take preeminence over worship of the sun, we've lost our witness. We've lost it. No, this is the reality from Isaiah 92. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Or as Luke 1 says, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which his sunrise on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So this is our center That we would be a people on both sides of the aisle who worship Jesus alone. And we need your theological diversity. You can find other places that all think the same on any issue that you care about. But the reason I'm here is because we're trying to continue to align on who Christ is. And we won't always do it perfectly. But we have mercy and we're in relationship. And this is why Paul says, tear down the, the dividing wall. Don't become a tribalistic church that just all identifies on the exact same issue. The issue that we align on is Christ. And so that leads us in conclusion to this what now piece. What do we do with this? Paul says, consequently, because of this, you were lost and now you're found and you're found in community. Consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're citizens with God's people and members of his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. He's mixing metaphors here. That we're a people, but we're a building. And as a people that are being built like a building, that Christ himself is the cornerstone. In ancient Israel, the cornerstone, archaeologists found, the cornerstone is the biggest stone. It's the truest stone. It's which they derived in ancient building as the right angles in which to have, you know, in the absence of a level, to have straight lines. The cornerstone in the ancient temple was 38 feet long, 9 inches tall. Christ is that. We are being built in. Paul's saying, take your pick. Is it a new family? Is it a new building? All of it is meant to be for Christ's glory. In our lives, he, he's built in us. And we, we, we've, we've struggled to live into that because though we want to have unity in Christ, we start to confuse it with uniformity. Uniformity and unity is not the same. We'll be different, says Paul. You in Asia Minor, you'll be different as you worship God. You can find unity in that. It won't always bring uniformity. So we'll have to deal with our differences, says Paul. We'll have to be in relationship, like Larry and I just kind of showed you. We have to be near each other to work these things out. 
I don't know if you recently saw the news I read about in the New Yorker where, where some evangelicals were gathering to kind of redefine what evangelical meant. Some of them had talked at the Billy Graham funeral. They said, let's meet at the Billy Graham Center. We'll get old and young, black and white, you know, different ecumenical backgrounds, and we'll just come together to just write a statement of what we agree on of what the gospel is. And so for several, several days, they shared their ideas, and they, they kind of pitched things, and, and the, the older in the crowd kind of was stressing more kind of relationship and respect and authority, and the younger was talking about activism and engagement and doing a new thing. And at the end of the two days, these 50 leaders, that, you know, the, the best, the brightest, handpicked to write a new statement, guess what they left with? Nothing. Because they couldn't agree so we won't do this uniquely well. We won't always do this perfectly. But Paul says here, if you look at verse 22, in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. A new building, a church, for his presence to continue the work of building us up together. So a couple things to acknowledge there. You're a work in progress. Me too. Welcome to the club. If we, if we came to church fully formed disciples, we wouldn't need church. We come aligned by our brokenness and, and the wholeness of Christ, not by our perfection. Your work in pro- progress, but Paul says, you are being built. This work continues as you worship Christ. Christ will fill your, your gatherings. His spirit will indwell you with purpose. And you need to be in relationship one to another. This is where our unity comes from. Citizenship, says Paul, this new building, this new temple, that every one of us has a role. We're bricks. We're bricks in the wall. We're pieces, you know, pick your metaphor. We're stitches in the great fabric of faith. We're tiles in the mosaic. We're, we're, we're D2 in battleship. Like, whatever it is. Like, we're all part of it. It's amazing. And Paul says, as you kind of own that fact, you will recognize that you need one another and that the witness of this church and the church at large continues to be Christ holding us together. That's what communion is all about here in a couple moments, that we approach this table by unity in what Christ did for us and we never approach it alone. We approach it together. That we have been found by him. There's this old hymn, several hundred years old, called It Is Finished. And it just kind of, you know, spoke to me. A guy shared it with me yesterday. It just this stop striving. Stop trying to earn in any kind of works righteousness. The salvation, I was lost and now I'm found. And that is my core story that, that I just need to come back to again and again and again. And he shared with me this, it is finished. And I read it last night. I was so encouraged. You know, in this hymn, it is finished. Cast your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone. You are gloriously complete. What good news is that? That it's not our doing. Our doing, the writer says, is actually like deadly. Throw it down and, and, and rest in the feet of the cross at Jesus, in whom we are gloriously complete. The chorus says, it is finished. Yes, indeed, finished every jot. Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? This is my story of 1992, 17 years old, asking God, could you be there for me? And the Spirit falling on me 
And so why this hymn is particularly meaningful because as the Spirit falls on me and, and I have a new relationship with Christ and I feel saved, I was lost and now I'm found. I went out in the, in the Northern California night at the Young Life Camp and I wrote these words in my journal. It is finished. All the walls, all the striving, all the division, all the trying, all the, all the ways in which I try to make myself receive God, it was finished there in that field. Free to love Jesus. Free to be in the family of faith. And then, you got to go back. Back to cabin time. Back to a bunch of other broken 17 and 18 year olds to tell our story. And to walk through life. We were lost and were found together. And Paul says, this continues to be your story. You will be built up. May Christ be magnified in your life. And may you remember... You're not aligned by the issue, but by the center point of Christ and Christ alone. May that be our story, Bethany. I will walk that journey with you till I die. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the reminder from your scriptures that it's, it's your blood on the cross. It's your work that took us from far to near God. It, it, none of it, none of it achievable on our own. This morning, thank you for the reminder from your scriptures that this continues to be the story. Lord, we confess ways in which that we hold on to hopes of more tribalistic gatherings of people that think exactly the way that we think. Give us grace and mercy for one another. Lord, we're a bunch of sinners saved by your grace and we're different. But here's what we have in common this morning, Jesus. Your blood on the cross saved us. And so this morning as we break bread together, remind us of the role of your church. Remind us of the role of what community is meant to. Remind us that it is the center point that's been worshipped for over a hundred years. And this morning we say yes to that. And all God's people said, Amen. The night of which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, eat. And then he lifted up the cup and he said, This is the, is the new covenant a covenant of blood poured out for everyone to be forgiven. And then he gave it to a whole table full of different people. This table at Bethany is open to anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. Pause and confess any sin that you've been holding on to or any dividing walls that you kind of hold on to. And when you approach this, know that you approach it as a sinner saved by grace. The bread is all gluten-free. Take a piece and dip it into the juice. Know this gift is for you. We'll have communion stations on the left and right and down front. We'll move clockwise through the room. Let me say a prayer over the elements. Lord, thank you for your body and your blood. Thank you for this bread and this juice. Remind us that we've been saved by your, by your act on the cross into a new life of joy and peace and hope and unity. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we close with communion and worship?